Hello and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psychology podcast hosted by clinical psychologists Dr. Layla Dan Osman, Dr. Mary Simray McDonald, and Dr. Jennifer Vrend. We hope that this podcast helps parents, children, and teens learn new coping skills in dealing with their stress and anxiety and to help strengthen relationships in their lives. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Coping Toolbox. I'm Dr. Jennifer Brend, and I'm joined today by Dr. Simon Sherry to talk about perfectionism. Dr. Simon Sherry is a professor at Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, Canada, where he directs research examining the link between personality and mental health. He's a well-cited author and an internationally recognized expert in perfectionism. In his clinical practice, Dr. Sherry specializes in treating and assessing perfectionism, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, alcohol problems, and personality disorders. As both a professor and a clinician, Dr. Sherry is a strong advocate for the science and practice of psychology. He regularly contributes to local, national, and international media outlets and leads educational workshops for health professionals across Canada. I'm very excited to have Dr. Sherry here today. I first met with him when I was a graduate student and conducted a study examining perfectionism and body image disturbance in university students. As I'm sure we will see today, Dr. Sherry is known for his passion and enthusiasm about the topic of perfectionism. So welcome to the Coping Toolbox, Dr. Sherry. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So um, I thought we would just get started by talking a little bit about what perfectionism is. So maybe you can tell our audience a little bit about what is perfectionism. In accordance with the uh, lay public and a dictionary type definition, we'll start off by saying perfectionism involves maintaining the highest standards, being rigid and extreme about those standards and tending to pursue goals relentlessly and ceaselessly in the service of trying to reach perfection. Now there's more to that definition though. From the science side of things, we widen the definition of perfectionism. For instance, you can not only demand perfection of the self, but you can also demand perfection of other people. So some perfectionists need everyone around them, friends, coworkers, family, etc., to be perfect. Beyond that, we know that perfectionists excel at self-criticism. They can attack and chastise and beat themselves up, usually in response to some sort of a perceived or actual mistake. Perfectionists tend to be very doubtful in their actions. They'll tend to check and recheck a lot of what they do. And they have enormous, exaggerated, negative responses to making mistakes. They tend to be devastated if they make a mistake. So as this definition suggests, perfectionism is a multidimensional trait. There are different aspects to perfectionism, and all of those aspects have been well-researched now for more than 30 years. Okay, so just kind of breaking this down for our audience, when you're talking about perfectionism, it sounds to me like the expectations are coming from different places, right? So there is this sort of, you know, the perfectionist who has their own expectations that they have to live up to. 
that are perfectionistic, but I think you mentioned that it's not just coming or not always just coming from themselves, but there's expectations that they think are coming from others. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And that's a critical distinction. Some people, it almost seems like they were born perfectionists. They come out and they're setting the highest possible standards and pushing relentlessly toward the achievement of those lofty goals. We might call that person a self-oriented perfectionist. They put that requirement on the self. But there are other people who tend to feel intensely that those around them need to be perfect. So they're going to say, my boss, my parent, my spouse needs me to be perfect. And for that individual, it feels very intense and real, the pressure to be perfect. We're not exactly sure if those people are experiencing that as more between their ears, as a misinterpretation of what's going on in their environment, or whether or not these individuals actually find themselves in environments where criticism, demandingness, scrutiny, and judgment are more common. Interesting. So with that, if you're thinking about those that have these expectations on themselves versus the perceived expectations from others, is one of those the preferred type of perfectionism? Is one of those a worse type of perfectionism? Or does it all kind of lead to a lot of the same issues, the same negative consequences? We've been debating the good, bad, and ugly of perfectionism for three decades now. There are probably more or less positive forms of perfectionism, but I would say regardless of what sort of perfectionism you're talking about, it's a risky trade. For example, people are really high on self-oriented perfectionism. You will see these individuals obtain high grades as they push relentlessly and ceaselessly toward lofty standards. And at the same time, you'll sometimes see the riskiness of that trade. For instance, there's nothing wrong with being really high on self-oriented perfectionism until something is imperfect, like you get a poor mark. And under that stress, sometimes you'll see somebody have a depressive episode or become anxious. That form of perfectionism, I'm calling it self-oriented perfectionism, where personal standards are excessively high, does impel people toward career success, while at the same time leaving them vulnerable for outcomes like anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa. So perfectionism tends to be a double-edged trait. For some, it's linked to a lot of positive outcomes. For others, it can have a dark side. And oftentimes, if you look at someone over the life course, there may be times where their perfectionism was pushing them to positive outcomes in grade 12. But when they rolled into first-year university and got 63 in organic camp, you'll see the destructiveness of perfectionism come out. So just speaking of that, what are some of the mental health issues that are related to perfectionism? That's a long list at this point. I'll highlight some of the particularly strong relationships from research. There's an intimate connection between perfectionism and depression. It seems like that may be one of our more important discoveries over the last three decades, that perfectionists tend to be prone. To depression, especially like a major depressive disorder, less evidence for a link to bipolar disorder. Beyond that, there's a really strong, robust link between perfectionism and disordered eating. Perfectionism seems to place people at risk for anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating. 
Take a few steps back, though, and perfectionism is linked to a wide host of problems. The way we tend to think of it is as a transdiagnostic risk factor. In other words, across a wide range of problems and diagnoses, it seems like perfectionism increases your risk of bumping into those problems, whether that's obsessive compulsive disorder, a phobia, panic, generalized anxiety. There's quite a long list at this point. Okay, so kind of worrisome, very worrisome with all of these uh, diagnoses that you're discussing and, and speaking of. I'm curious about what types of things contribute to perfectionism and how much of that might be just, you know, something that you inherit, something that you're born with versus the, the circumstances, the social side of things, the parenting. Can you tell us a little bit about what maybe drives some of those perfectionistic tendencies? Absolutely. Perfectionism is a collision between nature and nurture. On the nature side of things, perfectionism resembles a lot of personality traits and that maybe 30 or 40% of perfectionism seems to be attributable to genetic variation. So to a certain extent, perfectionism, like so many traits, is in the genes. There are also those salient environmental contributors. Our team here at Dell, partnered with others at UBC, has illuminated that certain parenting styles are conducive to perfectionism. Not surprisingly, if you have hypercritical, excessively demanding, harsh and judgmental parents, that's an incubator for perfectionism. There's also parental modeling. A lot of parents show their kid how to be a perfectionist by pursuing things rigidly and relentlessly or reacting catastrophically to mistakes. Beyond genetics and parenting, it's also really important to note that we live in perfectionistic times. There's been one study from my team here at Dell arguably an even better study from across the pond in the UK that have shown that over the last 25 years, perfectionism has gone up in our society, especially in our young adults. They're reporting more and more levels of perfectionism. And this may have something to do with the times we live in. We're never more concerned with keeping up with the Joneses. We're an individualistic, hyper-competitive, hard-driving, time-urgent society in the Western world right now, and that seems to reflect rising rates of perfectionism among our young adults. Okay, so two things I want to highlight as you're talking, uh, just given our audience for this podcast, uh, we have a lot of teens and university students as well as parents that listen in. So I think both the parenting side of things and maybe talking a little bit about maybe some some ways to help manage the you know when you have a child that's perfectionistic when you yourself as a parent are perfectionistic that's one thing i'd like to talk about and then the other is is more that social media side of things so maybe we can talk a little bit about the parenting first and then get into the social media and and that side of things so what advice do you have um maybe both sides of it when you are a parent and you're raising a child who struggles a lot with perfectionism and also as a parent yourself you have some of those perfectionistic tendencies. What type of advice would you give that, that individual? First of all, let me say this. I absolutely have talked to parents and clients and they do not necessarily see a link between their parenting behavior and their perfectionistic child. Some parents are shocked. <laughs> I didn't do this. I swear I didn't do this. They came out, you know, they couldn't. 
color anything when they were four years old unless it was done absolutely perfect. I never pushed them to be perfect. So I do believe that there is a instance where someone probably inherits a muscular form of conscientiousness. This would be conscientiousness on steroids. They're extremely goal-oriented. They're extremely organized, disciplined, dutiful. They look an extreme, probably maladaptive version of conscientiousness. And that may be especially under the control of genetics. So I want to give a free pass to at least some parents because it would seem some children spring from the womb, leaning hard in a perfectionistic direction. In terms of parenting, I think that perfectionistic parents are often very loving, involved, sacrificing parents. They really do roll up their sleeves and get involved in their kids' lives. So that much is awesome and optimistic. I think it's important that you consider how you're relating to your child, maybe in particular how you're loving your child. You've got to be careful that you're not parenting your child with strings attached. So are you doling out affection, perhaps unwittingly, based on performance? Do you lean in, give an extra pat on the head when your kid scores three goals in hockey, but give them the cold shoulder on the way home in the car if they, in quotes, underperform? A lot of perfectionists come to believe that they're only as good as their last performance in hockey terms. They're only as good as their last shift. And so throughout their life, there's a sense of I've got to perform to be accepted, a condition of being part of this team, organization, world, relationship is performance. So they end up with what I'd call performance contingent self-esteem. You only feel good about yourself temporarily if you've earned it. Right. And I think parenting can encourage kids in that direction. Likewise, you can try and put fewer conditions on your kid and provide them with a consistent unconditional form of love that can be helpful to overcome that tendency to think you're only as good as your last grade or soccer game. So just to step back, just to kind of go through that. Um, so I think what you're saying with the, with the parenting, sometimes what can happen, the dynamic between the child and parent is that the child feels that their love is based on their performance, their results. And so when they're achieving, it's great. Things are going well that relationship is strong. And then there are the issues, the problems start to arise when maybe they didn't make a team or they didn't get into the university they wanted or all of a sudden something isn't going well. And then it, they feel that the love, whether or not it is, is different, but they feel the love, is it there? Yes, love for sure. And even more basically and frighteningly, the attachment. Attachment, okay. Will this ongoing bond continue? Will my parent be available for support, love, kindness, nurturance, belonging, unless I'm performing? So, And people internalize that, and they don't just bring it to the parent-child relationship. That relationship eventually goes to university, grad school, the workplace, a marriage. So you get people who will work relentlessly, nonstop. And they're trying to find love, belongingness, connection in the workplace, for instance, where perhaps those things don't belong, but they've internalized that as a model for how relationships work. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as your performance. So in order to feel loved, feel belonging, feel deserving, I have to be perfect. 
Yes. Okay. So in that way, it's perfectionism almost emerges as a tool. You know, if you grow up in an environment that's intensely critical and demanding, maybe you're going to try and perform to overcome that. Maybe you're going to try and escape criticism, belong, have your parents' acceptance by earning your way to it. And that sets up a pretty difficult, unhealthy, lifelong dynamic. And eventually, as I said, that dynamic can incorporate other people. But I find that perfectionists are usually harshest on themselves. And so they will internalize that criticism and that negativity. A lot of perfectionists have what I would say is an abusive relationship with the self. Mm. They beat themselves up so intensely and so negatively. And not always, but often that's the internalization of a parental voice. And they tend to try and escape that voice by working more, doing more. If only I could be perfect. Of course, escaping a voice within your own head is a difficult thing to do. Right. And and it sounds like they really get stuck in this trap where when things go wrong, they think, well, if only I was more perfect. And so then their their strategy is I'll just be more perfect next time. But again, there is no perfect. And so they're they're working on this unachievable goal, which constantly results in not feeling good enough. Good enough is never good enough when you're a perfectionist. There's often a discrepancy between the perfect person you think you should be and the imperfect human that all of us are. And for some of us, that discrepancy is just fine. Okay, I'm going to do better. I'll work a little harder, work a little smarter, I'll do something different. But oftentimes for perfectionists, that gap between the actual self and the ideal self is really painful. Right really shameful, a terrible thing to experience. Right, right. The other piece that you were going to talk about was the social media side of things, which I think is is so interesting and uh, <clears throat> worrisome in a lot of ways. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how social media ties into perfectionism. It certainly links up to the parenting behavior too. As the parent of three boys, I feel like social media is a weed. Every day I trim it back, every day it grows back. So good luck to all of us in managing this social media challenge. In terms of perfectionism, my research team partnered with a few folks from the UK a few years ago, and we studied adolescent girls several weeks in a row. And what you can see online is that perfectionists will go to highly salient, hard to compete with comparison targets online. In other words, they make upward social comparisons. So they'll look at a supermodel, they'll look at an elite athlete, they'll look at the best of the best, and they compare themselves to these elite, almost impossible to reach targets. And of course, a lot of what we're seeing on Instagram or other forms of social media is just absolute nonsense from filtering to unrepresentative slices of behavior. Regardless, perfectionists want to compare upward. And what we found is around those times where they made those upward social comparisons, their mood would come crashing down and how they feel about their body would really lower. Mm. So perfectionists tend to compare themselves upwards to others on the internet. And then in the wake of that, tend to feel deficient, low in mood, and negative about body. Beyond that, perfectionism is rife on social media. And I think we have to cultivate in our kids a healthy skepticism. I really do think we have to train them to become more critical consumers of these unrealistic, 
perfectly sculpted images. And without that training, I think they're going to internalize those images. And then that becomes like a lifelong toxin that lives within your kid. If they deeply internalize ideals for thinness or other unrealistic images related to body or self, those cultural constructions live on in your head and become the yardstick against which you measure yourself. So I would be very cautious in social media exposure for all our humans. Right now, teens in the U.S. are averaging about six to eight hours a day on social media, which is a mega dose. It's having major negative implications. And we've got some preliminary evidence already that perfectionists may especially struggle with the social media domain. Do you have any thoughts on why why we're so drawn to this and you know i think even as as adults we're drawn into this but you know clearly and i've asked sometimes my clients to think about after they've spent some time on social media how does it make you feel because often they don't feel good afterwards and some of them have done these little studies on themselves to see how do i feel after i spend a couple hours doing this but what is why are we so do you have any thoughts on why we are so drawn to this yes i'll answer generally and then specifically as it relates to perfectionism. Generally, some of the smartest people in the world are now buying for your kid's attention. Mm-hmm. And they're often doing so using the basics of psychology. They've set up these apps with sticks and carrots, and then they motivate you with anxiety or outrage producing content that keeps you looking. Right. From that perspective, maybe we need to think about screen control devices or even as a society, whether or not we want to regulate what our kids are getting exposed to. I know Quebec kicked up some controversy last week by instilling a banning of cell phones within schools. When it comes to perfectionism, you have to realize that these are folks very interested in status, rank, and dominance. They want to be number one, and often in a pretty dark way, want to crush other people in competition. And so I think they get drawn into the online world to figure out who's the best, how to compete, where they rank. We're back to this idea of social comparison. So they look for targets to see how pretty am I, how successful am I, how fabulous is my vacation. These are individuals who are sensitive to those markers of competition. This is the old idea about keeping up with the Joneses. Perfectionists are very interested in that form of competition. Okay. Okay. So I thought, uh, I know we don't have too much time left, but I thought it might be helpful just to kind of think about a sort of uh, imaginary case example, the kind of thing that we would see often in clinical practice. So in my mind, I was thinking, you know, either sports or academic, but uh, maybe a university or, or a high school student who is so set, and I see this all the time in my office, I have to get the best marks possible. I have to, in order to get where I want to go, which maybe is graduate school, med school, law school, I absolutely have to get, and, and they, these individuals are getting sick because they have such high standards. So in your practice and, and with your research base, how do you help these kids that are so focused on getting these perfect marks, how do we help steer them in a direction that's going to be healthy for them, but still helps them to achieve? Great question. And difficult space that these young people find themselves in, admission to clinical psychology. 
does demand a ridiculous amount. Medical school, same problem, perhaps worse. It's a very competitive world we live in and that B minus you got in second term of first year, maybe the reason you're not currently a graduate student. So I want to express a lot of empathy for this hyper-competitive world we live in. I also tend not to be interested in modifying high standards. I'm not sure that high standards are the real culprit here. Empirically, people tend to be okay when they have high standards. But we want to take a look at what surrounds them. For instance, if you have high standards, don't meet them, and then intensely criticize yourself such that you're upset for two weeks and you think you're worthless and you have no esteem whatsoever and your mood crashes, okay, then maybe rather than focusing on high standards, we may have to take a look at how you criticize or attack yourself. I find that if you go right toward perfectionism, oftentimes perfectionists will be difficult and dig in their heels. They use the pursuit of perfection as a tool to try and keep themselves safe over the years. So I'll tend to drop back and take a look a few notches below and try to understand what's driving or motivating the person to pursue perfection relentlessly. Oftentimes, they're looking to belong or to connect and to use work and the pursuit of perfection as a way to achieve that. And so sometimes if you can figure out what motivates a perfectionist and help them understand what factors in their upbringing or their current life may be contributing to the pursuit of perfection, then there could be a little more wiggle room and maybe an option to still pursue excellence, but maybe without the hard-edged, intensely critical aspects we see in perfectionists. So I think I'm hearing from you, one of the pieces is they tend to get really tied up. Their identity is really tied up in the results. And I know that's something I've worked on before with some of my clients where that result, sometimes some of that result is outside of your control, right? We're looking, I'm thinking of athletes trying to get into the NHL or, you know, or again, people trying to get into medical school. And sometimes it's just the way the cards fall and there's pieces that are outside of your control. But with these perfectionists, if they don't get whatever that goal is, that's their whole identity that's wrapped up in it. Would you, do you agree with that? Yeah, perfectionists often have their esteem highly concentrated in one area. So they don't tend to have a diverse self. They might be extremely focused on the achievement of athletics or achievement in the school domain. So it's important to help someone understand the developmental and relational underpinnings of that, to help someone understand why they ended up with so many eggs and uh, must be a great hockey player basket, Mm -hmm. for instance. I also think you can work on helping perfectionists understand not only the developmental underpinnings, but the here and now impacts of their perfectionism. How does this play out in your relationship with your parents, with your spouse, with your co-workers? How does their perfection and its pursuit impact other people? Do you work at all with the clients on And I know this is a hard one for myself as well, but the idea of that we actually can learn from our failures, we can, you know, there's there's the positives to to find in our mistakes and our failures. Do you work at all with clients on that side of things? 
reframing failure is absolutely important. There are a few teachers as good as failure and pain. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out those experiences, I think, is really important. It takes so much work to help a perfectionist decatastrophize mistakes and come to see those mistakes as learning opportunities. But that's really what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Your life, if you're going to be successful, should be littered with mistakes. And so there is a chance to reframe those experiences. And really also to take a look at, are there other ways that somebody can learn to deal with their emotions, to relate to other people that don't get all tied up in being perfect? Yeah, it sounds too, uh, self-compassion must play a big role in that and just learning to be compassionate towards yourself and love yourself despite making mistakes or errors and just recognizing that as human beings, we are flawed and we're still lovable as opposed to when I make a mistake, I'm, I'm not lovable. Absolutely. It's not lovable and I should be rejected, mm-hmm. criticized, maybe even abandoned right. in the context of that mistake. So to recognize in therapy oftentimes that people are pursuing perfection in an effort to feel safe and secure, to feel loved and accepted. And on the surface, that may come out as 18 hours a day studying or an excessive commitment to the gym. But ultimately, people are trying to fit in, to belong, to connect, and to feel safe. And when those fundamental needs either in their past growing up or in their present with the environment that surrounds them go unmet, you're going to see a lot of relentless striving for perfection. What's also interesting, too, is I've talked to many perfectionists over the years. A large subset of them would be willing to die for the pursuit of perfection. They're so excessive and extreme in their pursuit of perfection. Well, at the same time, being almost completely unable to tell me what perfect is. Right. So oftentimes, this is a very vague sense of going to go all in, but they couldn't really tell you what the perfect hockey career would look like or the perfect academic year would be like. And yet they're willing to subject themselves to enormous stress up to and including harming themselves to try and reach that so very vague standard. Right, because it just keeps changing, right? And when you do achieve a goal, it's just there's a, the, next, the next bar that's going to be higher. So you can't picture what that will look like. Fascinating. There's very interesting research on that as well when you study perfectionists longitudinally. It looks like in terms of their academic performance, they start out maybe A minus student. And if you follow them over time, they become an A student. And then you follow them over time, they become an A plus student. And as their academic grades get higher, their perfectionism also gets higher. So there's sort of a vicious circle that happens there. Right, right. So I I do want to wrap things up. And normally what we do at the end of an episode is try to come up with three takeaways for our audience. Um, I don't know at this point if there's anything maybe else, anything that you wanted to add that we haven't talked about. But if you were to come up with a couple of takeaways for our audience today, what would those be? One, I would want your audience to appreciate that perfectionism is a risky trait. I think oftentimes the public has an unrealistically positive view of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. 
it's a lot more than that thing you mentioned at the end of your job interview as the flaw yeah. that the interviewer yeah. asks you about. It is a potentially destructive trait. Two, I would want people to appreciate that while it is a risky trait, it seems to be a modifiable trait in that there are cognitive and behavioral and interpersonal and psychodynamic interventions that have preliminary support suggesting that perfectionism can be treated. We've discussed in passing some of those today, for instance, reframing failure as a learning experience. So if you are a distressed perfectionist, I think it's important to realize that there's help available and a good idea to seek it. And then the third thing I guess I'd want us all to consider is that we live in perfectionistic times and maybe we need to start thinking about what we value in our culture, whether or not a highly individualistic, hyper-competitive, squash the competition, beat the Joneses mentality is really what we want to be encouraging. And that there are options in our society for something other than a dog-eat-dog mentality. And that maybe we could be nurturing different values in our kids that would include some more attention to something like kindness. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sherry. I really appreciate you joining us today and all of your insights. And as I said at the beginning, you can tell you're just so enthusiastic and passionate about this topic. So I really do appreciate you being here today. I'm glad to be here. I enjoyed the chance to share the conversation and to give away some of the research we've been doing. Thank you. Wonderful. All right. Uh, So thanks again to all of our listeners. And there will be some links attached to the episode if you're interested. Thanks and have a great day.